You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Ah, good morning. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? Marvel. How many of you suffer from allergies? Yeah, it's going to get worse. That's what they tell us. It's going to get even more difficult. And I struggle with allergies, and so, uh, and it really affects my eyes. So if I start going off, obviously I'm not following my notes because I can't see them. But uh, uh, my name is Mike, one of the pastors here, and glad you're here. Why don't you take your Bible and open up to the Bible book of Second Samuel? Uh, it's in the Old Testament, right after First Samuel. It's amazing how they work that way. If you'd like to borrow a Bible this morning, uh, you didn't bring yours, and our ushers are walking down the aisle. They've got a stack of Bibles in their hands. They'd love to let you borrow it. It's a loaner, so leave it there when you're done. If you need a Bible, just wave at them, and they'd be happy to give you that. Now, we're going to be looking at Second Samuel chapter 13 all the way through to chapter 19. So we're just going to be here for a few hours. It's not going to be that problem. But uh, I think uh, Pastor Justin, if you were here a few weeks ago, <clears throat> talks about how, you know, we all grouse about the fact that he gives us such long passages, and he had this, you know, long passage with Joseph. Well, it's one story. This one's a whole lot of stories, and I think in a, in a couple weeks, or next week, uh, one of our pastors has a whole life of Abraham he gave to us. But we love Justin, and we're going to get through this morning, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to learn a lot uh, from God's Word. So why don't you go ahead and take out uh, your out of your worship folder that... Uh, uh, Garrick was mentioning to you, inside there, there's an outline that you can fill in the blanks with. The blanks, uh, uh, answers will be up on the screen and that. And there's also a study guide that we have available for you in the lobby area. There's some great helps as you uh, uh, go through some additional study you can do. A lot of our life groups and our um, uh, personal Bible study people use this. And the answers are on the back of that, plus the extra verses that we give out. So I encourage you to, to pick that up as we go through this morning. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not much of a sailor. Anybody here sail on the ocean? Sailor? Yeah, you like that? Yeah. Look at waving back there. Yes, a couple of you love to sail. Uh, <clears throat> I love the ocean. You know, regardless of the shark attacks and and all that can go badly wrong, I love the ocean. It's a it's a whole new world. But for those who sail, it is a joy beyond measure. I mean. Uh, uh, <clears throat> They love, they have skill that they uh, uh, navigate through uncharted waters. They deal with currents and winds and storms. But those who have the equipment navigate well and truly enjoy themselves. If someone who's really sails, you begin to ask them about their sailing experience, they will go off into a whole new world of just how exciting it is, you know, wind in their face and their hair blowing. They love it. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. You can look online and all kinds of places like that to hear about their wonderful journey. However, their journeys are not without difficulty or facing great opposition because there's a lot out there in the ocean that can happen. Like with Tammy Oldham Ashcroft back in the 1980s, who was sailing in the South Pacific with her fiancé, Richard Sharp, when two weeks into their journey, they were caught, they caught the 40-foot waves and the 140-knot winds of Hurricane Raymond. Richard was swept overboard. Tammy was knocked unconscious below deck. She woke to calm waters and calm skies with a partner gone. The ship's masts were snapped. 
the ship's engine, radio, navigation system, and emergency locator all destroyed. However, Tammy managed to pull together a makeshift sail, pump the water from the half-filled cabin, and spent 41 days navigating her way to Hilo, Hawaii. All this is documented in her book, came out a long time ago, called Red Sky in Morning. Her training, her following key truths of sailing and survival, guided her and allowed her to turn tragedy into triumph. Tammy's experience is a lot like life. There are amazing times where there's smooth sailing. Life is great, life is calm, and it's wonderful. But then there's also times when there are terrible storms. Storms like cancer and job loss and major accidents, relational issues, and other problems. But then there are those storms we cause when we mess up and it throws us into the uncertain waters on a difficult path. Like the guy who thought he would just simply try methamphetamines became an addict on the spot. Or the couple who just fooled around and landed up pregnant or the person who thought they could steal from their company and yet was caught and put in jail, federal prison, to deal with the guilt and the shame. All these are real stories where in certain certain waters of choosing to go against God's way cause cataclysmic storms. How could they survive? Could they ever thrive? The answer is they can. And they have, by understanding some key truths, key principles God put out in his word, the Bible. For God has the power to navigate us through the rough waters of life, even those sin-charged storms we create. Now, these specific truths are seen all throughout the Bible, but really specifically in a what-not-to-do from one of the Bible's greatest characters. We're not to listen to him in this regard, but actually look at his life and figure out what not to do, and that's King David. David, who though he was the youngest in the family, he had a passion for what he was into. He learned well the trade of a shepherd and had a courage to fight off lions and bears. And David had an amazing heart for God. We see the depth of his heart and the depth of his love for God and the grasp he had on God all through the Bible book of Psalms, giving us such deep insight of God and life lived in relationship with him. David's trust in God moved him to face giants. Yes, the the, the physical giant of Goliath, but also the giant reality of being anointed king. And then dealing with the giant reality of running from Saul, who wanted David dead. David was also a a valiant warrior who commanded the allegiance and devotion of his mighty men. These mighty men who were one-man armies who could take on hordes of enemies. 
See, David was of such valor, such honor, such integrity, such strength that he could actually command the attention of these warriors upon warriors. But something happened as David got older. He stopped connecting with God and stopped being about the work God had designed him for. Those idle hands gave way to wrong choices, sinful choices, storm-making choices and failures, like with Bathsheba, adultery, murder, lying, and others like numbering his troops, finding out how many he had because he wanted to pump up himself and, and, and put his trust in himself and not in God, but also failing as a father failing as a father and navigating the uncertain and unfortunate waters of all his family was dealing with. These wrong and sinful choices set a path and a pattern that affected David's family, like dominoes that fall, one affecting the other, so his life affected every member of his family and really a whole nation. But it could have been changed had David sought God. But in this later life, he chose to disconnect from God. And this path and pattern of difficulty and really destruction continued. For the reality is the actions we do today do set patterns and that, that tend to be repeated and paths that tend to be repeated, both good and not so good. But we love the good currents that, that lead us to God and, and life his way. Like that wonderful proverb in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he's old, he won't depart from it. It's being that example in the good and uncertain waters that teach. But so also when we mess up. For our actions matter, and they influence. And so does our seeking God. Along with facing our own failures, And in all this, seeking to restore relationships, these key truths, these key truths guide us through uncertain waters, even those cataclysmic ones, the cataclysmic storms we create. For God has a power to navigate us through the rough waters of life, even those sin-charged storms we contribute to. And through the botched way King David of the Bible steered through the uncertain waters of his wrong choices, we can grasp four truths that engage God's power to navigate well through the rough waters we experience in our crazy family. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Not looking at David as a good example. This time looking at David as what not to do. So if you wouldn't mind standing up, set your Bibles aside, and and let's let's stand and pray and ask God to, to challenge us this morning. I know God has something for you this morning. And he's been waiting for today to reveal it to you. Let's ask him to help us hear what he's saying. Father, thank you for bringing us to this place today. God, that you would allow us to really listen and intently hear from your spirit what you would like us to learn this morning. Lord, we know you have a message for us. Maybe it's already been given through the music and and now through your word. So open us up with that, God. Meet each one of us at our point of need. 
Lord, I know as we stand here, there are some who are facing some difficult storms in life. Lord, minister to them. And Lord, there are some who are facing storms they themselves have caused. God, minister to them. Challenge them in the path and pattern so they cannot let history repeat itself. Bless us in our time. Use this opportunity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat, and hopefully you've got your outline available and can jot down some notes as we walk through this this morning and, and look over these six chapters in 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 13 uh, through 16 or through 19. But actually, uh, as David's storm rages, we're going to gain from these four truths as well as some lessons along the way. But actually, we're going to start back in chapter 11. So you can tell Justin I even went longer than he wanted to. I went more chapters than he was asking. But Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, with, it starts with David's sin of adultery and murder and lies. You see, David had let his life get out of balance, not seeking God's purposes and seeking to fulfill his own pleasures. That's always a uh, concoction of... Uh, devastation wherever we go, when we take our eyes off of God and when we put them on ourselves. Well, that's what David did. And so he abused his power and took a married woman and having her husband killed, took her as his own wife. Well, he was rebuked in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel by the prophet Nathan. And you can read his confession because he saw his sin And he realized that you can read his confession in Psalm chapter 51. But as chapter 12 goes on, Solomon is born. And we talked about Solomon last week as how Solomon treated his mother Bathsheba and honored her. But Solomon had lots of issues. One of them is that Solomon had 700 wives and maidens for his pleasure. 700 that's a lot. Some say that the reason that um, Solomon personifies uh, wisdom as a woman is because he was around so many wisdom all the time. But that was never God's design. That was not God's design to have 700 wives and women for pleasure. But his father David had the same issue. Lots of wives and kids from those wives. Again, not God's design. You see the dominoes fall? Well, then in 2 Samuel chapter 13, something unconscionable happens. David's oldest son, Amnon, has a crush on his half-sister, Tamar. Ooh. And not just a crush... He wanted her. And so he manipulated the plan with his friends in hopes to get her alone. He even used David in the process. And just like his father, Amnon physically overpowered Tamar and raped her. And here is the first truth of life we can learn from David. See, David didn't seem to matter what his actions did. But the truth is, actions matter. What we do, the choices we make, affects us 
and affects others, especially as a parent or a boss or a leader or a friend or a neighbor or a team member or employee or if you are a human being and breathe air. Your life, your actions affect other people. Proverbs 29 talks through a number of these relationship issues. If you want a little study on them, pick up the study guide in the lobby area, and there's a few verses that we go through in that that talk through some of them. And actually, all of the book of Proverbs shows our actions affect others. And we're to seek wisdom in those actions so we can act wisely to spur one another on to love and good deeds and not to let those cataclysmic issues face and the, the domino effect of our bad continue. See, we're not an island. How we treat people, how we, how honest we are, how we handle temptation, how we deal with stress, distress, and unrest, how truthful we are, our integrity, our dealing with, with God matter. They affect us. And they affect those around us. See, sometimes we think, well, nobody really cares about what I do. Yes, they do. People care, and people listen, and people learn. Well, if they got away with that, maybe I can too. Our actions matter. And yes, it is true, as Exodus 20, verse 5 says, and Exodus 34, 6 and 7 say that the path and pattern of wrong and sinful actions will continue. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, last part of that <clears throat> passage says, will continue to visit the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation, unless... Those dominoes are going to continue to fall as this father sins, his son will sin, and his son's sons, and so forth, unless, unless there is a change to follow God and to seek actions that bring him honor. That's why we are challenged in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, that our sins should reflect God. If that seems too far off, Colossians 3.17 puts it this way. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, we are to do what Jesus would do, who said his life aim was to do the will of the Father. For God has the power to navigate us through the rough waters of life, even those sin-charged storms we create as we follow Jesus' example. Jesus' example of loving God with all of his heart, mind, body, and soul. Jesus' example of loving other people, helping them, caring for them. So we are to think before we act and know that what we do matters. Now, what we do doesn't make us more or less saved. That's an initial decision, and that action truly matters. Because the reality of life is, is that each one of us have been born with this condition called sin. We've missed God's mark on what he would have us do in life. 
And try as we might, we cannot fix that condition of ourselves. We are constantly going to go wrong, constantly, continually move into those cataclysmic storms of, of sinful lifestyle always. Because there's a sin nature attached to our DNA and we're constantly pulled that direction. You don't have to teach a kid to do wrong. They just do it automatically. Left to ourselves, we will continue to mess up, right? Why does good seem so hard to do? Because it's not part of our nature. We're sinful. And try as we might, we cannot get ourselves saved from our sinful condition because the truth is, the Bible says, if we don't deal with this sin issue, it's going to drag us straight into hell. And that's where we'll spend eternity. Now, it seems like a difficult position for us to be in. There's nothing we can do on ourselves to fix our sinful condition, and it's going to take us away and constantly have us be doing wrong things and moving from one bad issue to the next. What do we do? Well, we need a Savior. That's why Jesus came, to save us from our sinful condition. And what he did when he died on the cross, he broke the... the uh, pull of sin if we come to faith in him and that's belief that we're sinful and need a savior and that is jesus and when we do that that pull is there but yet we still have choices we make they don't make us more saved they're just now living in this christian life that we now live in and those actions still matter many of you have made that decision of faith you've come to that place where you believe in jesus and you know it you know you're saved some of you are still wondering Don't go another day without making sure. Make sure even this morning. If you want to know how I can help you with that, afterwards we can pray, talk together, or during our our, our little uh, time of, of reflection, we can do that as well, or just in the quietness of your seat. But make sure you've made that initial step of faith and then continue to grow in that, making the right actions, actions that bring God on her, for actions have an effect on others. The question is, what paths and patterns are you setting? Well, David's difficult saga goes on. Continued on in Second Samuel chapter 13. David, Tamar's father, hears of what happens to his daughter. And this just blows me away. He does nothing. Nothing. His own daughter is violated and he does absolutely nothing. Sure, he gets angry. But why doesn't he step in? He's king. Why doesn't he do something? God wants us to be involved. He wants us to be engaged. One of the actions he has for us is to be involved with our kid's life, no matter what age they're in. And as kids get older, they need parents coaching and mentoring. Not so much as the direct guides that we once were, but to build new relationships as more of a coach who cares, asking questions. And when they're ready to talk, Offer help and advice when asked. I I had a mentor friend who I watched him raise his adult children and and continue to be involved in their life. He spent a lot of time with them and just invested time developing a more of a friendship relationship with them. 
And I saw him ask way more questions than advice they were given. But he was engaged, and his actions made a difference. But David, David did nothing. And his actions of nothing spoke loudly. For Tamar's brother, brother from the same mother, Absalom, found out and was incensed and manipulated to have Amnon murdered. Just like David had Uriah murdered, that husband of Bathsheba. See the pattern here? Like father, like son. And even with this murder, David again does nothing. God had sent Nathan the prophet to help David see his sin, and David does nothing when it's in his power to do so. Too caught up in his own grief and feelings to be the parent God called him to be. I remember we talked about this a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 9, the great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and, and that we should take these truths of God and teach them to our kids as they sit down and they rise up and when they walk by the way. That God has called us to engage our families and teach them the truths of God. David had just simply separated his life out. And he did nothing to engage his kids and to deal with this. And here's the second truth. We are to face failure. See, David ignored the issue. Too consumed with himself, he could not even see that he had failed as a father to deal with the hurt and tragedy of Tamar and the murder. And he failed as a king to bring justice Now, David had once done this, had once faced his failure when he messed up with Bathsheba. And in his great confession, he says this in Psalm 51, verse 4, Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil, God, in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. See, too much we run and hide and will not admit fault. (laughs) I, I have a... Uh, the great privilege of um, watching my grandsons. They are three of the cutest kids you've ever seen in your entire life. And if you have, I've got pictures like you wouldn't believe on my phone. It keeps saying, you know, my storage is almost full because it's all full of pictures of them. And every now and then I get a chance to watch watch all three. Actually, this last Friday, I got to watch all three of them at the same time. Wow. (laughs) How much fun is that? Well, mostly I, I, I take care of two, Moses and Nels. And they were out playing in the yard. They were actually actually playing out in the doghouse. We have a doghouse. Our dog doesn't use it, but our grandkids do. <laughs> so we're keeping it. Anyways, I was uh, kind of rounding the corner, and all of a sudden I heard a thud, and then that silence. And I went to Nels, and, you, and Nels had his mouth open going, and I knew the cry was coming. But usually it's the longer the silence, the greater the hurt, right? And all of a sudden, ah! And he was crying and hurt. And, and you know, I, I comfort him. And I looked in, in the doghouse at Moses. And I said, what happened, Moses? And he looked down, I don't know. 
So I comforted Nels and he just shook it off, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just jumped up and ran out and played and looked after some worms or something. And <clears throat> so I sat there in the, in the doghouse and I said, Moses, did you hit Nels? Uh, um, no. Did you trip Nels? Um, he starts crying. He scoots way back in the very small corner of the doghouse. Why is it we do that? Why is it that when, 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 and we won't face our own issues and yet we squirm and run away and go to the very corner of the doghouse and hide? Well, finally, kept at him. Moses, you know, you can't hurt your cousin. And he all of a sudden cries. He comes out, hugs me, and I, you know, he says, I'm sorry. And he says to Nels, I'm sorry, Nels. And they hug and they have a great time. And then they go off and do their thing. I want you to write down this one verse. Some of you know it already. First John 1 9. It says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, that word confess means to face our failure. It means to admit that what we did was wrong. See, all Moses needed to do was to admit that he was wrong. And he would not only get the embrace of his grandfather, but also enjoy back the relationship with his cousin. Why don't we do that? So much we just throw up the thing, oh, I don't know, or no, we lie. And we think we're hiding, and we hide back in the corner of that doghouse, and we sit there all alone and not face our failures. God wants us to face our failures. None of us are perfect, especially the person next to you. <laughs> so let's face our failures. For as we do, we tap into God's power that power of restored relationship, that power of, of God connecting with us, that power of, of intimacy with God to navigate us through the rough waters of life, even those sin-charged storms we create. We need to face our failures. Yes, our actions matter. If we want to navigate through tough storms, it also takes us to facing our failures. Well, back to David who still is not facing his failures. And in chapter 14 of 2 Samuel, David's people try to get him to see his issues, and it backfires. But David reveals the biggest fail in all his failures, his failure to forgive Absalom. The interesting thing is that God had forgiven David, and yet David cannot Forgive Absalom. Absalom is on the run. They finally convince David to at least bring Absalom back to his own house. <clears throat> but here's one of the greatest tragedies and another fail. Is Absalom is living in the same house as David. And for years, David refuses to talk to Absalom. He's not restoring this relationship. Yet that is one of the truths that God gives us. Here's that other truth. We need to restore relationships. God desires for us to do all we can to foster and restore relationships. Take your Bibles now 
and turn over, keep your thumb in, in 2 Samuel and turn over to the New Testament to Romans. Romans chapter 12. Specifically verses 9 to 18. I'm not going to read all those verses, but the, those are great verses talking about um, our way to really interact with people and develop relationships with them and to keep restoring relationships as we go along. Because as we hit storms of life, there are going to be times when relationships are tense. Either we've wronged somebody or somebody's wronged us or there's friction and we're not sure but we just simply are distant from people and we need to work at restoring relationships. Here's some help. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. That means authentic. Coming from a heart that says, you know what, even though I don't like you right now, I'm going to love you through this. But in that, we're to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good, those things of God that are good. In verse 10, to love one another with brotherly affection. And here's a way to do that, to outdo one another, showing honor. We learned about honor last week, to honor our moms. but, But it's that place of prominence in our life that that looking at them and and and, and seeking to place them above ourselves by bowing and, and and humbling ourselves to them and giving them that place of honor in our life jumping down to verse 14 and this is where it gets tough to bless in other words to to think kindly and and rightly of them and to to say right, good things to them bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them that's hard it's not easy to, to be nice to someone who's not nice to you. But yet to restore relationships, somebody's got to break. Somebody's got to take it upon themselves to take that step. And God's calling you to do that and me to do that. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. In other words, don't be proud, but associate with the lowly. Be humble. Never be, this is the hardest one, never be wise in your own eyes. There's always another side to a story. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's... Not easy, and relationships are incredibly awkward and difficult. But forgiveness is key. So seek to do all that can be done on your part. See, we can't make others forgive and make others seek restitution or restoration. But we can forgive. And experience the peace from that. That's God's way. And there will be a peace. Even though they may not connect with you again, you can be at peace. For God has the power to navigate us through the rough waters of life. Even those sinfully charged storms as we follow these truths. As we understand that actions matter. As we seek to face our failures as we seek to restore relationships. The story of David goes on in Second Samuel, now chapter 15 through 17. Absalom not only despised his father, 
Can you imagine the anger that would grow that you wanted to connect with your father for years and he just would not have anything to do with you? Well, that moved into bitterness. And then moved into Absalom, wanting to usurp David and steal his kingdom. And through manipulation and power, he actually does. And David, this amazing king, killing giants, is now on the run again. The run for his life. Well, a lot happens in this, and powers come and go, and David mounts up an army, and Absalom mounts up an army, and in chapter 18 and 19 of Second Samuel, Absalom is killed in a bizarre way. Absalom was, was kind of like um, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. You know Gaston, who was all into himself, and he was perfect from head to toe? Well, Absalom was like that. And Absalom had this, you know, beautiful Fabio hair, uh, thick and beautiful. And he would get a cut once a year, and it was a ba- big celebration because how beautiful he was. Well, these two armies began to battle, and, and Absalom was running, and he came to a tree, and all of a sudden, his hair got caught in a tree, and the the donkey went out from underneath his legs and he's just kind of dangling there with his hair in this tree. And some of David's army see him not so sure what to do because they don't want to touch the king's son. And another one says, no, we need to take care of this. And so they ran him through a number of times. And David mourned Absalom's death terribly. And we're not sure why. For David had been so self-absorbed to build any kind of loving relationship with him. And the kingdom was confused. And this action, this whole incident actually divided the kingdom. It once was unified as God had totally designed Israel to be, but now again there was a division. The dominoes fell. David affected Amnon, affected Absalom affected a whole entire kingdom. Our actions matter. And if we're going to make it through this storm of life, we've got to honor God. And what's interesting in this whole story, this whole tragedy, this whole difficult storm, David did something that was so characteristic of his life, but he didn't do it during this time. There is no record of David ever inquiring God in this period of his life. Which is the last truth in navigating the uncertain waters that come our way. We are to seek God. David had had an amazing, close, deep connection with God. We read it all the time as we read the Psalms. What happened? He stopped interacting with God. He stopped seeking God. He stopped serving God. And David became so absorbed with his emotions instead of letting God comfort him. David ignored God. All the help of heaven was waiting for David and waiting for us if we would seek him. I love how Isaiah 41 verse 10 puts it. Fear not, God says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. 
and will help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand if we just simply turn and seek him. That involves trust. David didn't trust any longer in God. He trusted only in himself and his efforts. And look at where it got him. God wants to help you. He desperately wants to help you. Even when you've messed up yourself, God is right there saying, I want to help. Instead, we think, well, I got this, God. I can handle this. And just look and sit back at the mess you create. And God, all along the way, says, I want to help. I want you to be there. All you have to do is seek me. And yes, it's a risk. You might have to give up some of the things that you want to do. Yes, it takes sacrifice. Yes, it takes surrender of our will to God. But that's the life God created us to live. We were designed to live trusting God. The question is, do you? If so, then continue to seek him. (laughs) What a storm of trouble for David and his family. The dominoes continued to fall, but they didn't have to. A storm that could have been avoided had David sought God. For God has the power to navigate us through the rough waters of life, even those sin-charged storms, as we acknowledge that actions matter seeking actions that honor God. And in the face of our failures, seeking to keep right with God and confessing. And as well, continue to restore relationships in the practice of forgiveness. And in all this, seek God always. The storms will come. You never know when they're going to hit. Just like it did for Tammy Ashcroft. And some of those will be from our own doing. But there is help from God as we turn to him. Will you? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the way it really hits us at our point of need. And it hits us right where we are. Father, help us to seek you. Help us to restore relationships and help us to face our failures and Help us to get the reality that our actions matter and what we do makes a difference. And help us, Lord, if we don't know you, to take that step towards you. God, I pray that you'd minister to us even in this moment of reflection. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.